Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is New York Times best-selling author Chuck Palahniuk. His many wonderful works include Fight Club, Choke, Haunted, Snuff, Rant, Lullaby, Diary, Survivor, Invisible Monsters, Stranger Than Fiction, and many, many more. His new book is Not Forever, But For Now, which is published by our friends at Simon & Schuster. Chuck, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you very much. It's an honor to have you here. And first, Chuck, you've been on this program before. Thank you for coming again. Last time we spoke, we were in the thick of the COVID shutdown. How have things been going for you since then? Have you been able to go back out on tour yet? No, this is uh, my first tour is starting in uh, September. Mm-hmm. And uh, tour is always kind of part of my creative process. So it's really hurt. Yeah, I bet. And uh, I bet you're looking forward to getting back out there and seeing everyone. I think the first time I saw you was for Haunted when I was managing a store in San Francisco and you were throwing severed limbs out into the crowd. And then uh, again, when I was in North Carolina managing a store, I believe you were at the North Carolina Comic Con uh, or something along uh, those lines. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. Was, a lot of and, fun. Uh, uh, was that in uh, Raleigh, Durham? It was, yes, absolutely. That was the night that, that there was a huge lightning storm, and the lightning had hit something in the underground and blew out all the manhole covers in the middle of the night. It was incredible. Oof, I didn't know about that. That sounds kind of gnarly and kind of cool at the same time. Hopefully nobody got hurt. Um, well, it's great to see you again, Chuck. And my next question for you is about your new publisher, Simon & Schuster. Uh, Simon & Schuster have been on a roll lately, I think, half a dozen or so of the best books of the year may all be published by them by the time December rolls around. Uh, how has it been jumping ship to another publisher and what has it been like working with the folks at Simon & Schuster? My editor at uh, Random House, Jerry Howard, mm-hmm. uh, retired. Yeah. And uh, and Jerry's assistant, kind of my second editor, is a man named Tim, Tim O'Connor. Mm-hmm. Tim O'Connell. Mm-hmm. And Tim moved to Simon & Schuster to be the head of their fiction division. Mm-hmm. So Tim is my new editor at Simon & Schuster. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I w- I'd like to say that probably any big victories that Simon & Schuster is getting are because of Tim's move. Oh, nice. Nice. And has it been, uh, I imagine working for Simon & Schuster and working for Penguin Random House is not that different? Uh, not, yeah, not so far. Yeah, very good. Very good. Well, um, congratulations on that move, Chuck. And now let's dive into your new novel, Not Forever, But For Now. Um, damn, Chuck, uh, can you take a moment to set this novel up for our listeners? Oh, my gosh. So right. just thinking about, you know, cultural precedent that mm-hmm. would cross between these novels. In a way, this novel is part turn of the screw and that in that it is two children primarily in an English country home. Mm. And these are two apparently very corrupt children. Mm. So it does have turn of the screw in it. It also has a little Shirley Jackson because uh, it is very much like uh, we have always lived in the castle, which is again, two siblings living in a very large ornate house in the countryside. Mm. And on another front, uh, it is uh, 
boy, it is a conspiracy novel uh, mm -hmm. because there's there's a, a murder in it. Mm -hmm. So what has happened to the father is a, a big mystery throughout the novel that is eventually, you know, explained and figured out. And it's also a big sort of fight club novel in that it goes global towards the end and it becomes a social movement and the social movement threatens to destroy the entire world. So it is everything but the kitchen sink. Mm. Um, and it's also very much a novel about uh, the failure for people to kind of achieve adulthood, mm. uh, failure for them to see themselves ever as adults. And, and on another level, it's very much a, a book about addiction mm -hmm. and how 30 years can just slip by and you you find yourself still basically the same child uh, mm -hmm. who whoever you were at the moment that you became addict, addicted to, whether it was drugs or pornography or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's very much a, a novel about being people being stuck in time. And on top of that, it is occasionally heartbreaking. Chapter 43. And it is frequently very funny throughout the whole book. So it is very Downton Abbey, but with a lot of death, a lot of killing, and uh, a lot of laughs. Absolutely. That's a great uh, description, Chuck. And we're going to be returning to many of these concepts throughout the course of this interview. But first, I want to talk to you about shock value, a trait that most of your novels and books share. I wonder what your thought process is when you have an idea like the one for this novel, and if there's any self-applied pressure to sort of top the shock value from your previous novels. You know, I never think of it as a, as intentionally uh, going to shock. I come mm -hmm. from a, a background of punk rock. Yeah. And so if a concept occurs to me, I know that I have to depict it. I really don't pull my punches. Also, because throughout my life, I felt that if I have an idea, I need to find some way to make it work on the page. Because if I don't, if I chicken out, mm -hmm. then I will be much harder on myself later in life mm -hmm. for having chickened out as a younger person. Mm -hmm. If I can't do it now at the age I am, then later on, when I'm perhaps less of a, of, of a strength, mm -hmm. I will re really regret the things I don't do. Mm -hmm. So it's never intentionally shock, mm -hmm. um, but I do come from a punk background where not a lot of things are off the table. Yeah, absolutely. And Chuck, if you were uh, if you were a punk rock artist, which one would you be? Mm. Oh, I'm not sure if you'd call them punk, mm -hmm. but the Flying Lizards were always my favorites. Nice. You know, they had that sort of deadpan. Uh, not even the sort of sense of not even trying mm -hmm. so flying lizards flying lizards i'm gonna have to look them up i'm partial to the contemporary band king gizzard and the lizard wizard which brings uh brings comes to mind every time i hear lizard well um chuck how is this book like a nature film the book is very much you know it kind of explores the idea of predators versus prey mm -hmm. and so the two little boys who are most of the book, the, the book is told from the perspective of one little boy uh, who is just very enamored with his slightly older brother. Mm -hmm. And the two of them uh, fre frequently watch nature films in which they are just appalled and constantly rooting for 
small animals not to be destroyed by larger animals. Mm-hmm. And so the two little boys see themselves as kind of prey animals, and they sympathize very much with these baby animals in the nature films. Uh, but over the course of the book, they realize that um, that they probably should try to evolve to become uh, predators as well, mm-hmm. that they can't always be prey animals. They must somehow become predators mm-hmm. and start to become active in preying upon other people in the world. Yeah, and speaking of um, prey and predator animals, so specifically the uh, baby animals that they're um, thinking of and the beginning of the novel are joeys, baby kangaroos. Um, and let's talk for a moment about kangaroos. Kangaroos are not cuddly animals. They yeah. will fuck you up. Um, and I've seen a few uh, YouTube videos lately of just crazy kangaroos like slamming themselves into screen doors of people's homes. Uh, and looking very, very scary. Um, How are kangaroos important to this novel? Not forever, but for now. Growing up, I remember seeing these videos of of when the joy, when the the, the joy leaves the vagina of a female kangaroo, Mm -hmm. it has to climb the fur outside the kangaroo in order to reach the the marsupial pouch where it can finish its its development. And so there's, it's always this very precarious, tense situation where this blind, uh, barely uh, sensate thing is no more than just kind of a clump of tissue, must climb this fur exposed to all the elements, and that the mother kangaroo can't help it. And if it doesn't reach the, the pouch, it will either die clinging to the fur or it will fall to the, to, to the ground and, and die there instantly. And so, as a child, that was always such an incredibly tense uh, things thing to witness. And as a metaphor, I I love it. I had this idea of someone being stuck there between infancy and adolescence or adulthood. So, as a metaphor, these little boys see themselves as that that sort of embryonic joy that is, or that fetal joy that is stuck clinging to the mother's fur without the strength to to get to where it needs to get to finish its life cycle. Mm-hmm. So it is the kind of dominant metaphor for these little boys being stuck as little boys and whether they're going to fall and die or whether they will eventually succeed in, in reaching adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. Thank you so much, Chuck. Listeners, we're going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Chuck Polinick. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore explore booksellers in the process i'm back with chuck polinick author of not forever but for now which is published by our friends at simon and schuster chuck before we dive back into your novel uh are you still around portland oregon i am uh yeah 
Yeah. And how have things been going there? I know it got gnarly around uh, COVID and all the protests for a while. Is it calmed down at all or is it still weird? It's still weird. And yeah. every year we, we worry about the forest fires. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always a shit show. Yeah, absolutely. That's where all of my in-laws are up in Portland. So I do have an affinity for that area. Um, And the last time we spoke, Chuck, uh, one thing that we talked about was the context of a story that Amy Hempel had released in her collection that I believe she got the idea of the story from you. Um, Have you heard from Amy lately? Do you know how she's doing? I have not. I need to send her a copy of this book. Mm -hmm. I'm always very reluctant to do that because it feels like a reading assignment. Uh Uh-huh. But... Yeah, I'm sure she would love to read it. Um, Well, back now to your story, Chuck. Um, How does one play the game called Winnie the Pooh, as the characters in this novel do? There are a lot of sort of euphemistic uh, games, which more more than likely are sexual games. Mm -hmm. And so I just threw them in there, uh, these these references to things like... uh, uh, rusty, rusty trombone, mm-hmm. human toilet, Winnie the Pooh, Lady in the Lake, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not going to define them because I find it so much more effective that the reader has to come up with what they what they might be, and the reader's imagination is going to be far more filthy than mine is. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> I have my doubts, but it's possible. Uh, my next question, as um, translations of the Odyssey and the Iliad and adaptations of them are perennial bestsellers, uh, what is with Otto's interest in Pericles and Agamemnon? This comes up over and over again in this novel. You know, for for uh, for Otto, who is the older brother, mm-hmm. Pericles and Agamemnon are kind of his most heroic ideals, and so he tends to fixate on on older boys uh, who he sees as kind of his deliverance, his ideal. Mm-hmm. And since their father is missing uh, through most of the book, uh, Otto is very much looking for a kind of father or secondary father figure that he can attach himself to. Mm-hmm. And for both the, the little boys, uh, finding male approval or kind of male role modeling is really, really important. In a way, this book is a is a kind of a child's version of a fight club mm-hmm. with Otto playing Tyler Durden and his brother Cecil being the narrator from Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Chuck. Um, how dangerous is it, Chuck, to make a hobby of soliciting serial killers as pen pals? The two little boys are, mm-hmm. their hobby is to write letters to serial killers who are either in mental hospitals mm-hmm. or uh, sentenced to life in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes they, they sort of court and seduce and send salacious letters as themselves. And sometimes they send those letters uh, in the guise of their mother. Mm-hmm. So they're just kind of fanning the fires of desire, hoping that someday one of these killers will will break loose and, and come calling. Mm-hmm. And so that, that happens periodically through the novel and, and some some horrific ser- some horrific serial killer breaks loose and shows up at their door and has to be dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever written a letter to a serial killer in a prison? No, but I have gotten them, which is always interesting just to get a Mm -hmm. serial killer letter out of the blue. Yeah, that would be interesting for sure. Thank you, Chuck. Um, My next question. There's an organization that Otto and Cecil's grandfather works for 
uh, that seems to be responsible for many celebrity deaths. Judy Garland, Princess Diana, Kurt Cobain, and also events like Kent State and Jonestown. Uh, why and how? Basically, the, their family fortune is uh, is derived from doing this kind of underground hit work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're, they're wealthy uh, because throughout recent history, they have bumped off people who are damaging their brand too much. Mm-hmm. If you have money invested in Amy Winehouse and Amy Winehouse is damaging her brand, thus your investment, you call someone who calls someone who calls someone who calls grandfather. And so grandfather and, and his people take care of Amy Winehouse or take care of Kurt Cobain or Sonny Bono. Mm-hmm. And if we're at a point where the, the family fortune, the family business has to pass to someone. Mm-hmm. And that's one factor that, that makes Cecil have to grow up, the older brother, is that someone needs to step up and helm the, fam- the family business. So Cecil needs to give up things of childhood and become a professional assassin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Chuck, you have... Uh, compared this novel to Fight Club a few times uh, in this interview. And Fight Club, probably undoubtedly the most successful adaptation of one of your works. Um, Do you ever think about potential adaptations as you are writing these novels, or do you try to keep your mind free of that? I I really never do. Mm -hmm. I never do. And that's, you had talked earlier about shock value. Mm -hmm. And I, I find that that most, you know, mass media, movies, television, whatever, mm-hmm. it just cannot go to the most shocking subjects. It really can't go to sexual subjects. Mm-hmm. I find myself getting banned much more for my stories about a kid who alters his uh, uh, his genitals with uh, different varieties of HPV. Mm-hmm. A kid who does that, a kid who operates kind of an abortion service in his high school. Mm-hmm. Those are the stories that get me, get, get me banned. Mm. And not anything violent. It's, it's the stories that have any kind of a sexual component to them. Yeah. And so I'm always looking to tell the stories that movies and television cannot. Mm-hmm. And that's what sort of drives me to to write the books I do. It's not to shock people. Mm-hmm. It's just to, to tell stories that no other uh, medium can tell. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of banned books, um, of course, banning books, the practice of banning books is terrible. Um, it should not be happening. Uh, as the the famous quote goes, and I'm butchering it, but there's, you know, no society who has banned books has ever been seen as the good guys in history. But as an author, <laughs> when your when one of your wor- works gets banned, Thumbs up or thumbs down? Like, does it create more sales if a book is banned or is it something that is just a terrible experience to go through? You know, I'm, I'm always aware of it after the fact. My yeah. books are primarily banned in uh, institutions like prisons mm-hmm. and they're banned in uh, uh, high schools. Mm-hmm. And so um, in, in the case of institutions, there is really no access whatsoever but in high schools, I suspect that kids pass books because that's that's what we did in high school. Yeah. If you couldn't find a book, you found a friend who had the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wish I got more publicity from the banned book thing. Mm-hmm. It tends to be children's books that are banned. Mm-hmm. In 2016, there was a long list of banned books. And the only adult book on the whole list was my story collection, uh, Make Something Up. Mm-hmm. 
but I don't think I got any kind of a sales bump yeah. because everyone was so concerned about the, the uh, children's books. Right, right. Yeah, well, undoubtedly, there are high school students passing your stories around that they can't read in school. Um, back into the thick of this novel for a moment, Chuck. Uh, our protagonists, Otto and Cecil, love their dog, Daisy Bell. May Daisy Bell rest in peace. Um, in a way that they seem to not be able to love people. Why are they able to love this dog, Daisy Bell, like they do? Well, you know, the dog is the dog and also their pony mm -hmm. are things that loved them and that they loved and that never hurt them. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is there seems to be these moments initially where we think that they have callowly killed these other people, that they killed the one nanny, that they killed the chauffeur, that they killed a footman for seemingly no reason. But over the course of the novel, we find out uh, the, the context for why they really killed these people. Mm -hmm. And that the people, people that they ultimately killed, uh, they killed because those people had been fantastically cruel and abusive to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, finally, Chuck, and listeners, we have barely grazed the surface of this delightfully strange novel. Um, but Chuck, we uh, have spoken a little bit about this earlier. You alluded to it specifically when you were setting the novel up. But I want to ask about the nature of time. Uh, why does time freeze for some folks when someone important to them dies, whether it be a celebrity like Judy Garland, Princess Diana, or Kurt Cobain, or whether it be a parent uh, as it was for Otto and Cecil, they think, uh, with their father. You know, part of that comes from uh, Gunter Grass's Tin Drum, mm -hmm. which was a, another source of in inspiration for this book, was about, I believe his name was Oscar, the little boy who stays a little boy mm -hmm. throughout the Second World War uh, by, by force of will. Mm -hmm. And so the Tin Drum was a, a big influence on this novel. Mm -hmm. um, but largely because there is this kind of combination of, of addiction freezing us at the point where we become addicted and we really don't develop emotionally beyond that point. Mm -hmm. And despite how much time passes, if we ever get free of the addiction, we are still going to find ourselves that stunted person. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also the, the inability, the, the, the lack of kind of, uh, leadership or of ritual or or whatever that that helps so many people um, achieve an adulthood, a sense of adulthood, uh, whether it's a secondary father or some sort of you know rite of passage. Mm -hmm. There's so few things in the culture anymore that will sort of lift us into adulthood, and and there's also kind of a a, a drag, a tide that is actively kind of keeping us in childhood or adolescence because we're a lot more useful to buying things and following things if we remain this kind of constantly uh, consuming child. Yeah, and um, a quick follow-up, Chuck. In 2023 in the United States of America, do you believe that it's possible to live a life free of addiction? I think it is, and... To, to be frank, I uh, since the lockdown, my, my drinking was just off the charts. Mm -hmm. I would go out for lunch, I'd take the dog, I'd have a glass of wine at three o'clock, 
Mm-hmm. And then I think, why not another glass of wine? And that would get me to five o'clock and five o'clock. Then the dam was broken. And mm-hmm. I just sit there and drink and boy, didn't matter what was on streaming. I could just drink all the way till bedtime. Mm-hmm. And then this spring back in April, I asked my doctor for an abuse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now if I drink, I will die. Mm-hmm. And so I have been completely uh, sober since April. And uh, it's been fantastic. But, uh, but I could very well have, have just kept drinking for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And did, did that answer your question? It did, yeah. And and so, first of all, congratulations, Chuck. That's fantastic. Um, and I guess, secondly, like, I'm not even only talking about addiction to substances, you know, drugs, alcohol, etc. I'm more thinking also like addiction to shopping, addiction to television, etc. And wondering if we have a culture that lets people isolate themselves from these addictions, or whether addiction is just a, a you know, a fact of life. Well, in, in, in this book particular, mm-hmm. uh, Otto and Cecil reference nature films all the time. Mm-hmm. And nature films really mean uh, online pornography. Ah, mm-hmm. And so online pornography has really become that that siren's call that just pulls people in and keeps them captive for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And so nature films and Otto and Cecil trapped in the nursery for days on end and the nursery stinking to high heaven. Mm-hmm. is all allusion to online porn mm-hmm. and its effect on people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chuck. And thank you for continuing to write these <laughs> novels that astound, gross out, delight, and fascinate us all. I've been speaking with Chuck Polinick, author of Not Forever But For Now, which is published by our friends at Simon & Schuster. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me. Jason, enjoy Aspen. Enjoy the winter there. Once again, I would like to thank Chuck Polinick for joining me. Copies of Not Forever, But For Now can be purchased from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.